1: It's Thursday, May fourteenth, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes, our Tribe beat writer. Paul, good to talk to you again. Uh, the rain's gone away for the most part. We're we're looking forward to a little bit uh, nicer weather here in Cleveland over the next uh, you know week or so, hopefully. And as as things start to turn, we're we're getting we're inching ever closer to the idea of the possibility of a return of baseball, uh, but. Everybody in, in in baseball, it seems, is 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 happy about the the progress being made, except for guys like Blake Snell, uh, <laughs> the name that we're hearing uh, bounced around. Uh, he's come out with some some comments over the uh, over the last twenty four hours uh, regarding Major League Baseball's proposal for a return to play sometime in July. Uh, to, to Blake Snell, the idea of a fifty fifty revenue sharing split between the league and the players is not acceptable. What did you take away from from Blake Snell's comments?
0: Yeah, Joe, I think uh, this is a guy that, uh, you know, has been fired up. He's probably been uh, on some conference calls with with his team, you know, with other players, uh, you know, with the union, uh, with the Players Association, probably, you know, just is running his mouth a little too much, Um, you know, He's not going to play baseball, really. He's not. He's not going to take uh, half his salary. Um, you know, I, I for eighty-two games, mm-hmm. he's he's going to sit at home. I I I can't believe that, and uh, and I would think you know, I I I recognize the uh, threat of the the coronavirus to players. I I do. I I take it seriously, and I and I think they should take it seriously, and and MLB should take it seriously, but. Um, if you want to get paid, um, I think you play and, uh, I, you know, I'm, I don't think you have to play for America. You don't have to play for the country, but, uh, you know, that's your livelihood and uh, maybe you should, you should probably give it due consideration and, um, probably, you know, think before you talk, speak.
1: Well, let's uh, l- let's take a, a closer look at what uh, Blake Snell's position is here. He's uh, 27 years old. He's a former Cy Young uh, Award winner. Or, yeah, he, he won the Cy Young. Yeah, game. he won it, Yeah, um, and he's uh, set to make seven million dollars uh, in in 2020, uh, according to his contract. However, uh, you know now we're we're looking at. Based on the agreement for March, half of that seven million dollars, and possibly less of that if they agree to some sort of revenue sharing uh, a split. Uh, but Blake Snell saying to uh, in, in a report uh, uh, via Jeff Passan on ESPN, and uh, in, in a video that he had posted on social media, the quote from Snell is, uh, "No, I got to make my money. I'm not playing unless I get mine, and that's just the way it is for me. I'm sorry you guys think differently, but the risk is way higher." And the amount of money I'm making is way lower. Why would I think about doing that? Uh, and and you're right. That does sound uh, come off uh, you know sounding uh, a little bit obtuse when it comes to the the situation here. Because if he's in a position where he's saying he's not going to play, then he's not going to make his money anyways. Because that's he's not going to get paid if he doesn't play.
0: Right, and then you know that's the agreement they they uh, the players and the owners reached on March March 26. The if there is no season, the players don't get paid, uh, but they do collect. Uh, they do earn as much service time as they had in uh, 2019. Um, so, you know, you know, I think Joe, this is kind of a, you know this is really the first test for the union. You know, we've had over like 20 20 years of labor peace you know, maybe more going, you know, right up until 2021, uh, you know, the next basic agreement. And I think, uh, you know, I think in the back of a lot of people's mind is will this uh, generation of players that have known nothing but labor peace that haven't had to walk the picket lines that haven't had to, to uh, strike, are they going to do, will they do what their uh, predecessors did that, you know, that made the union what it is and, and made it possible for, the, for uh, Blake Snell to earn the money he's earning. So, uh, you know, it's, it's – uh, I, and I don't know if that's some bravado taken over here. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, uh, you know, the union is rattling the sabers a little bit and just trying to rally the troops. And, but I think uh, in the end, Joe, an agreement will be reached and they'll be playing baseball, if at all possible
1: right uh, and and Snell's not alone in his position here we've also seen uh, social media posts from Trevor Bauer uh, who's you know never shy about sharing his opinion on on what the league wants to do uh, Bauer called the proposal from the league uh, laughable um, so you, you know it's it's not like obviously Trevor Bauer has a an axe to grind against uh, Manfred anyways but you know, just looking at the position that the, the, the players are in right now, it's they can't be seen by the public as you know standoffish about this. They have to they have to look like they're working towards this goal as well. Uh, it can't just be Major League Baseball working towards getting uh, you know the, the the games going again. It, it has to be a, a you know, sort of a united effort here.
0: Yeah, I think so, and uh, I think eventually they'll work it out. I mean, it, it's easy to paint the players as the bad guys here, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, I think the owners are in a position where, heaven forbid, they really might have to spend their own money. You know, if <laughs> that's you know what's going to happen here. They they're not just going to lose their TV and media contracts if there's no uh, season here they are going to, they're going to lose. They They might have to go into their own bank accounts and, and cover losses. So, you know, let's not, uh, make one side saints and one side sinners here.
1: Right. Uh, one of the, uh, provisions in the proposal from major league baseball, uh, is rumored to include a universal DH, uh, implemented for both the, both America, uh, for, well, obviously for the American league, but the, uh, the national league would, would see the universal DH implemented, uh, because you would have interleague games going on at all throughout the whatever schedule is, is proposed, uh, there are, there are teams that would benefit from this, and there are teams that you know are are actually in really good position to to add the the DH to their lineup, uh, especially in the, the National League. If the Indians would be playing against National League Central opponents, uh, that means teams like the the Cubs. The, uh, the Brewers and the, the Cardinals would all be allowed to add an additional hitter to those lineups, and, and we, the Indians would not have to face a pitcher when they're, they're in the National League parks or wouldn't get the advantage of facing a pitcher in the lineup uh, in the National League parks. Um, you know, who, uh, in your mind, who are some of the teams uh, particularly that the Indians would face that, that could benefit greatly from this uh, addition of the Universal D.H.?
0: Oh yeah, Joe. I think uh, you know one of the teams that we were talking about is have to be would have to be the Cubs. Mm-hmm. You know, they could get Kyle Schwarber out of out of the outfield. Is, I know he's made some improvement out there, but uh, they could get him out of there DH him and put a better defender in there and keep his bat in the lineup and I'm sure that's something that uh, would make their fans very happy.
1: Yeah, it, it, Schwarber seems like the, the the biggest most obvious one, but also you got to think about the uh, the Reds in the offseason, they added Nicholas Castellanos uh, as a as a free agent and when when they did that it was kind of a head scratcher uh, you know when they added Castianos I mean, not for his bat obviously but but for the fact that Castellanos is going to go to the National League and have to you know you know play in in the field every every game ostensibly which is where he went you know he went to the Cubs last year and that when they they that that lineup was just sort of Uh, they just sort of assimilated him into that lineup and and didn't have to worry about his defense as much. Uh, But for him to make an impact with the Reds, he was going to have to play defense. Now that's not going to be the case. You can just, you know, pencil him in as the DH in that lineup pretty much every night.
0: Yeah, because, you know, he's a great hitter. Had a great run with uh, the Cubs after the trade from the Tigers. Uh, Even with the Tigers, he was a dangerous hitter. But I think uh, all the losing in Detroit had kind of grated on him and weighed him down. And now uh you know what coming coming to the Reds and who have made a lot of moves over the winter you know the, the, and to put his bat in there and maybe keep him out of right field or you know so he doesn't have to play defense you know that's that's a plus that's a that's a win for the reds All
1: right uh the Brewers would be looking at a situation where you could uh flip flop Ryan Braun and justin smoke uh you know at first base uh, not not have to put smoke out there who's uh you know, give him some, some, some rest and the same for Braun. Uh, you know, that's a, that's an easy move there as well as the Cardinals, uh, where they had moved Matt Carpenter back over to third base when, when Paul Goldschmidt, uh, joined the Cardinals. So now it, it, it just sort of allows certain teams to let guys play in their more natural positions as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that's, uh, the Cardinals are going to benefit from that, uh, you know, maybe Yadier Molina, if he he needs a day off, he could DH. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so there's there's a bunch of ways they can they can move those that those guys around, and you know that's why it always drove me crazy. It still drives me crazy, Joe, that they played this. <laughs> Major League Baseball has played this this way for so long mm-hmm. and without a DH you know with the DH in the American League and the, no DH in the National League and then you bring in interleague play and every every time the American League the, the American League couldn't win you know mm-hmm. if they played in the National League park their pitchers had to hit and if uh, the, the National League team came to progressive field their, their, their pitcher didn't have to hit they could put another hitter in the lineup it, it just seemed so unbalanced and so unfair especially in the postseason I, I just, uh, it never, it never jived with me. I, I couldn't believe a, 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 a sport, a professional sport that makes over 10 billion year a year in, in revenue sharing. Couldn't come up with one set of rules.
1: Right. That I mean, that would be like, uh, you know, the, the NBA eliminating, uh, one-on-one free throws at all Western conference home games. I mean, that's, it just doesn't make sense. You know, it, it, it would be really weird. The, uh, The first designated hitter in Indians history. Any idea? Shot in the dark. John Ellis? John Ellis batted cleanup on April seventh, nineteen seventy-three, when the Indians opened their season against the Tigers at Cleveland Stadium. Uh, but but he wasn't the the most like you know the most regular DH for the team that year. Who was who was the most frequent DH in nineteen seventy three? Boy, Andy Thornton? I'll give you a hint. His baseball card is legendary. Legendary for the hair. Oh, Oscar, Oscar, Oscar Gamble, Oscar Gamble, Oscar <laughs> Gamble had uh 259 at bats at DH for the Indians in 1973, the first year that the rule was implemented in the American league. Uh, you know, so a little bit of, a little bit of designated hitter trivia there for you. That's As the, good. I like that. The, uh, the, uh, and, hey, the, the Indians obviously are going to have a DH all season. Uh, it, it can rotate between a few guys, I think, um, with the idea that Fran Mill Reyes can, can play in the outfield a little bit more uh, this year. And, and Terry Francona has said on several occasions that, you know, being able to put Fran Mill in the, the outfield – will help him with that and, and move the DH around and, and give him more flexibility. But you got to think primarily it's going to be guys like, uh, Framil, uh, Dem- uh, Domingo Santana, uh, and, you know, uh, really, a, <laughs> that way, maybe like, J- uh, Jake Bowers as well.
0: Yeah. Bowers. Yeah. I think they, they can run, a, run a few people through there. Maybe Luplo, You know, I don't know if he's, if he's not playing in the outfield, if, you know, you're kind of loading the lineup up with uh, right-handed hitters. I, I I'm not well, sure. I'd still,
1: I'd still rather have Luplo in the outfield than Domingo Santana. Yeah,
0: that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah.
1: And and Luplo, uh could even play center field if you needed him to, if you were desperate. But you you pretty much got guys that that can do that in uh, DeShields and and Mercado. So, yeah the, uh, the the designated hitter coming coming out in full force in 2020 uh, National League teams. It's there will be uh, who 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 do you think would would be rolling over in his grave right now if he knew that uh, that the the designated hitter was was coming to the National League? I mean, it's been fought so hard and so long. You know, the 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 purists, baseball, uh, the the Roto leagues would wouldn't even have uh, wouldn't even have American League teams in the Roto Le- or players or teams in the Roto league because you know it wasn't pure, it wasn't wasn't real yeah. baseball. Augie Bush is
0: probably uh, in the in the big uh, bar room up in the in the sky is probably rolling around. I, I would think.
1: Well, just the idea that they that they play uh, baseball on artificial surfaces in, in some places would probably cause some of those guys to, you know, lose it as well. All right, uh, you know, let's we we talk about the the designated here. We talk about what an ideal lineup might look like for the Indians you know we're we're not it feels like we're putting the cart before the horse here uh because we haven't had an agreement or we don't have a schedule or anything like that but I'd still like to sit around and speculate about what a lineup would look like what a what an ideal Indians lineup might look like uh wh- wh- who would you put 1 through 3 in an ideal Indians lineup
0: oh, boy that's a great question and of course you got to deal with lindor right you know um i would 1 through 3 you know, just uh, I, I'm thinking. I'd go Lindor, Hernandez, and Ramirez.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And those, those would be my top three hitters. Uh, th- I,
1: if you if you take a uh, a a more Tito centered, uh, you know, traditional track right there, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll try to do an alternative one. I would go uh, Carlos Santana leading off, mm-hmm. uh, Oscar Mercado second and Lindor third. Mm, that's good. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I then four, I'd probably, 4, 5 and 6. Who would you put 4, 5 and 6? I'd,
0: I'd follow with uh, uh I'd follow with uh Carlos Santana,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Reyes and uh Domingo Santana and and I'd play oh. him in in left field. Ooh.
1: Domingo Santana after Framil Reyes so you're going to have uh 04 8 with four <laughs> strike with uh, with six strikeouts uh in the in the middle of your lineup right there. Uh if I had if I had Santana, Mercado and Lindor batting 1 2 3, I would go um let's see. I would go Reyes Hernandez and ah, wait a minute. I got a uh, Jose Ramirez. I totally forgot about that. Uh, Reyes, Ramirez, Hernandez after that. Okay. Putting, putting, putting uh Her- Hernandez sixth. Yeah. That'll be it. Now I'm going. This Seven, is. Eight, a, nine. Yeah. i
0: kind of lost it here. I, I, I I'm going to go, I'm going to, Put Luplo in a DH. Okay. Then I'm going to uh, Shields in center. I'm going for a little speed at the bottom of the lineup with Mercado. In uh, did in, you
1: have a did you have a catcher? Oh,
0: oh no no I didn't, yeah yeah I got to get Perez in there Perez is mm-hmm. going to catch.
1: So you put Perez eighth or ninth?
0: Ninth. I uh, I'll put the Shields ninth and Perez eighth.
1: There you go. Uh, I would go seven eight nine. I would go Perez seven um and Luplo eight in right field and then huh, Santana nine? Uh, can't do that. Santana will be my left fielder. So let's move uh De Shields down to No.
0: where's Mercado playing?
1: Yeah, Mercado's batting second. Okay. So, I'm putting Sh- uh, I'm putting Santana 7, Perez 8 and Deshields 9. Oh, okay. Mercado's playing left.
0: Oh, all right, yeah. I like that. Yeah.
1: And I would make Luplo my right fielder and Santana my DH. Yeah. That'd be it. I didn't so, really check lefty, righty, switch hitters. Right. Know. You know, it I. It, it would be if they're I, – I tried to break up the switch hitters. I didn't want to see, you know, what we would have with, with four uh, consecutive switch hitters at the top of the lineup. That would – that doesn't make a lot of sense to me, you know. I wouldn't want to spread those out and, and separate those guys. So, it's an exercise. Hey, it's a way to kill timer. <laughs> Just trying something there.
0: Yeah, that's uh, good. No, that's good. I mean, they're – Hopefully they have they they've got to go over those problems. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, <laughs> the it's
1: presenting themselves a, in the next few weeks here. It's a great uh, you know problem to have if you're if you're Terry Francona being able having to spread out those all those switch hitters. Um, let's uh, let's take a pause here and uh, take a couple of questions from Subtext uh, 216-208-4346. You can send a text message. Sign up for Indian Subtext. And get text messages uh, throughout the day from myself and Paul Hoynes uh, on Indians-related uh, subjects, and you can have a conversation with us. You know, reply back and forth, uh, give us your thoughts on what the Indians lineup should look like, uh, as well as tomorrow's special guest, Carl Willis, the pitching coach. Uh, you can submit questions that we can ask on the on the podcast of Carl Willis tomorrow. So again, uh, three ninety nine a month for Indian Subtext. Sign up at cleveland.com/subtext. Uh, Paul, what do you got for us?
0: Okay, this is kind of a poetic question. Joe. Wow. Kind of a deep think. You got to put, get, you know, kind of open your mind for this one. This <laughs> is from uh, Stephen Kemdor from Arroyo Grande, Grand, Grande, California, I guess. Okay. You know, if San, if Francisco Lindor hits a home run, and there are no fans in the park to see it. Did it really happen?
1: It's the sound of one hand clapping.
0: <laughs> That's exactly right. If a tree falls in the forest and no one's there
1: to uh, hear it, did it really happen? I'll tell you. I, I I wanna I I wanna hear what it sounds like when Lindor hits that home run in a in a big situation in a game. I wanna hear what what the sound in the ballpark is going to be like when he's rounding the bases and and pumping his teammates up and cheering. Because we've seen, you know, Lindor gets a, an RBI double in the seventh inning to extend the, the, the Indians' winning streak, and he pops up out of his slide, and he's pumped, and he's pointing in the dugout, and there's all sorts of stuff being said. I want to know what they're saying.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're going you're gonna to be able to find out, too. Yeah, but you're you going to get all of it. You're going to have to bring your
1: English-Spanish uh, 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 dictionary with you. <laughs> well, I, 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 language barrier notwithstanding, I just I, I want to know – you know, what they're saying and, and how they're reacting to each other. We're going to learn a few, uh, a few uh, you know, Spanish words that, that maybe we didn't know uh, uh, heading into the season. It, it, we're going to find out real quick. So it could Definitely. be interesting. That, yeah. that's, that's a good
0: question. Yeah. Okay, here's another one. Um, this is from Charles Bentley uh, from North Ridgeville. Um, one thing that hasn't been mentioned with the shorter draft is how this hurts the small market teams. Without the later rounds, the money teams can take anybody just by paying more for them than the teams with less money. Most of our young pitchers that were drafted in 2016 were picked later than the fifth round. I'm I'm not sure about that.
1: I'm not sure about – and I'm not sure about the, you know, the the bigger market teams can pay more for the later round guys. I think there's a $20,000 cap on those signings. But you can sign as many of them as you want. Yeah. Uh,
0: I think that's that's a big point, and I think maybe uh, Ch- uh, Charlie kind of missed that
1: point. You're right, and and I believe uh, wasn't Bieber a fourth round pick? Yeah, fourth, and
0: uh, uh, I think Plesek was like a twelfth, right? And Savali was drafted. Ahead, I think I think Savali was drafted uh, ahead of both of those guys, wasn't he? he was he, was a he third s- round pick?
1: Like a third round guy, yeah. Uh, Will I know Will Benson was the was the top pick in that draft? Yeah. And wasn't Nolan Jones the the number two?
0: Right, and uh, the,
1: the second round.
0: And Pleseck was a twelfth round. Pleseck was
1: Pleszek was a 12th, so he's somewhere in there. So yeah, I, I mean, there there would be guys that that you're missing out on, but it's not like those those round rounds one through five guys are you know total crapshoot. Uh, you know, guys, if if you're picked in the first five rounds, there's there's a reason you're picked in the first five rounds. I mean, it's yeah. It's not like you're getting, you know, just junk players in those first five rounds. What what this guy's saying is that the the bigger market teams would have an advantage because they'd be able to sign more of the, you know, guys that go undrafted. I, I yeah. think would would be it, but they're they're not they're not going to be able to offer them uh, more money than. Well, right, Yeah. Small market
0: the team. cap is at twenty twenty grand for right. all undrafted players. Right. You know, the thing I wonder about is. Um, you know, the Indians have done a decent job um, drafting players after the fifth round. And now, you know, you've got this cut off at five and it could, you know, the owners have the right to, I think, uh, curtail it to 20, 20 rounds next year. So, you know, that's kind of, uh, you're you know, you're cutting your nose off to spite your face almost uh, as far as the ownership goes. it you know, owner. You know, owners like teams like the Indians, who, whose lifeblood is the draft. Who really, you know, that's where your money is best spent, and you're not giving your guys a chance. And you know, another thing about the draft, Joe. I think this is going to be a tough draft for scouting departments. hmm They haven't. I mean, there's what, no
1: high school season.
0: Yeah, there's no. There's been no high school season. What the the last time you scouted a probably a college team was in January, maybe you know, you haven't seen any late bloomers or guys that you wanted to see come off injury and how they were doing. So I, you know, this is, this is going to be a draft I think built on, you know, teams following kids from, you know, from high school right through their junior year in college, how much video you have, how, 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 how diligent you've been in, in keeping in touch with these kids and, you know, video and, and zoom calls and all that. i I think it's really going to be an interesting draft to see, you know, who, who what team does the best job in in this uh, circumstance.
1: Right. It, it will definitely put a a, a a large, you know, burden on guys like Scott Burnsby and the the scouting department and the um, the personnel department. Yeah, it
0: really tests your your uh, the knowledge of your scouts and how you know
1: what kind of relationship they've uh, forged with these players. All right, uh before we wrap things up here, uh you know wanted to mention just uh take a, a look back we've been running this series of uh on this date in indian's history uh posts uh, over the last couple of weeks here since the season uh started uh, the, since the season was supposed to start, we wanted to give uh folks sort of a, a daily uh you know something to look forward to if, since we don't have game stories uh but you know today we took a, a look back at uh, a guy who was very familiar to playing in Cleveland, uh, just not at uh, Progressive Field or even the old stadium. It was at League Park where Babe Ruth sort of did his damage for the New York Yankees back in the uh, in the 20s. And on this date in 1921, Babe Ruth did something that nobody else had done in 30 years of uh, of, of League Park being in existence. And that was he took a Jim Bagby pitch. And deposited it in the left center field bleachers, uh, an estimated 460 feet away from home plate. Uh, the 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 arrangement, the configuration of League Park at the time, uh, the left the the right field line was was short. It was one of those like squared off outfields, uh, sort of like uh, the situation you had at the, the Polo Grounds, yeah, where it gave you this really long and deep center field, and for somebody to to hit one, you know, that far. Uh, it was it was a pretty impressive feat.
0: Yeah, I, yeah we, we should. I, I wish Dennis Maniloff was. Uh, you know, he could cover in that game because he could have. He could have. You know, measured, taped, walked it off like he did. Tommy's home run that that Tommy hit out of Progressive Field. But the Babe, how we were talking, Joe? Oh. How many home runs did he hit at, at League Park?
1: Forty six home runs in his career at League Park in like one hundred and twenty seven games, or uh, something like that. Uh, or it might've been uh, yeah. And 144 RBIs in those games. like uh, the, Babe Ruth definitely looked forward to playing in Cleveland. Uh, 1929, he did collect his 500th career home run, uh, at, at league park. So, you know, for, for Babe Ruth, uh, I guess, uh, you know, looking forward to coming here in, to Cleveland, uh, was, was, you know, part of his career with the Yankees after he, it was about a year after he made the move over to the Yankees that he, he hit that, uh, you know, massive shot into the left center field bleachers. And, you know, uh, I think he did pretty well for himself. Uh, based yeah, the out,
0: best, thing, the uh, best thing about that would have been going out with Babe to celebrate after that home run or maybe after his 500th home run. I wonder what, you know, what, what kind of damage he did in downtown Cleveland.
1: That's, they don't even – what would it have looked like in the days of social media? If Babe Ruth, if there were Twitter when Babe Ruth hit his 500th home run and then went out to celebrate in Cleveland, I mean, could you imagine? Just oh, yeah. he would have loved it. I think Babe would have been he would have been a tw- he would have been tweeting his uh, rear end off. Oh my goodness! Would would Babe Ruth have been sort of more like the 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 silent lurker on Twitter, or would he have been like the the crazy? you know, tweet anything and, and be highly opinionated and all that. Would he have been more of a Trevor Bauer on Twitter than, uh, than a Mike Trout?
0: <laughs> I don't know if he would have been as uh, acerbic as uh as, as Bauer, but I think he would have had fun on Twitter. I think babe had fun, whatever he did. It seemed like it.
1: Well, that's great. Uh, all right. Quincy, uh We're looking forward to tomorrow. We're going to come ready for Carl Willis. Uh, so hopefully we get some, uh, some good questions submitted by our listeners on our and our readers on subtext, and we'll uh, we'll present those to Carl Willis. Find out what the the rotation and the bullpen looks like uh, heading into whatever we have for a season in 2020. Uh, looking forward to it, and looking forward to talking to you then. All right, Joe. Thanks, man.